Father, we praise you. You are awesome, incredible, worthy of all praise and honor. You are our Father, and we are your children, and we love you so much. We long to experience your presence, feel your hugs, and receive your direction. Holy Spirit, we yield to you and ask that you would lead us and that we would be able to engage in a walk with you. Help us today to understand this walk from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's see here. Verses 5 and 6, page 656 in the Bibles we give away. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And we're at this passage. We've been kind of camping out here in chapter 11 because the whole chapter is all about faith. And today we're looking at how faith brings God's blessing. You know, I've done a lot of traveling in my days, and uh, I remember coming across this fascinating place a few years back. I was down in Texas, and I saw on the wall of the church this gold telephone, okay? And underneath it, it said, direct line to God, $1 million. So I asked the pastor, what is this? And he says, well, that's a direct line to God. Literally, you can talk to God, and it's only a million dollars. So I thought that was fascinating. And I was in Seattle a while later, and sure enough, same phone. Right on their wall, same thing. Direct line to God, one million dollars. One in uh, Seattle, uh, trying to think of a few other places. And then I came to Minnesota, saw the same phone. It's a direct line to God, and it says 25 cents. So what, what's up with that? It's a local call. <laughs> okay. We are blessed to live in Minnesota. Don't you think? Yeah. Okay. Well, faith brings God's blessings. There are two people in the Bible that never died. Enoch and Elijah. They're possibly the two witnesses mentioned in the book of Revelation. They both had an extraordinary relationship with God. Enoch never died. It says God just took him. Elijah was brought to heaven in a chariot of fire. Their extraordinary relationship was also normal. Normal something that we can all experience, normal though not average Christianity. And there's a difference. Okay? Normal Christianity is what all of us can experience. This is what Christianity should be like for all of us. Average Christianity is what it actually is like for many that miss out on this normal Christianity. James 5.17 Speaking of Elijah, it says Elijah was a man just like us. It's the NIV. Just like us. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed again, and it rained. Elijah is a man just like us. And the point is, that's normal Christianity. Just like us. 
So what does this normal Christianity look like? Look at our passage. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is normal faith that brings God's blessing. And he starts out speaking of Enoch, where faith brings the blessing of walking with God. He he, he talks about how Enoch was taken away, never died, uh, and, and he walked because he walked with God and he pleased God in that way in his faith. Uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, where we see this experience and see what, what he's talking about here. Uh, Enoch, uh, it says, uh, walked with God. This is in verse 22. 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. So apparently he got saved, so to speak, at 65 and then 300 more years, walked with God. 365 years, that sounds like a lot. But back then, that was actually a short amount of time. Most of them lived like eight, 900 years, okay, if you, you know, read the book of Genesis. But then he says this, Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. And I kind of think of this, and maybe it's just my imagination, but I'm just kind of thinking that uh, okay, Enoch is out for his regular walk with God, just enjoying God's presence, and it's starting to get late, and he says to God, you know, it's starting to get a little late, and we're a little far away from home. Maybe uh, we should turn around now. And God says to him, you know what? Maybe we're closer to my house. Why don't you just come home with me? You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, and it sounds funny, but he had that kind of relationship. With God, he walked with God, experienced the presence of God, and it says that pleased God in our passage. He was approved as one who pleased God because of his faith. Uh, This walk begins with God's acceptance of us. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this Great section kind of concludes in light of everything he said in chapters 1 through 4. And in Romans 1 through 4, he describes the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ, and that we're justified by faith, not by works. And then he says this in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, in light of that, since we have been declared righteous by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Access to God himself, peace with God, simply because of faith. And that's what we see with Enoch. He pleased God, and it begins with God's acceptance of us. Let me read from Albert Moeller's commentary on this passage. He says, first, without faith, it is impossible to be commended. 
while works of external righteousness and general morality may commend us before men, these things are not sufficient to commend us before God. Humanitarianism, religiosity, morality, and following the most scrupulous personal ethical codes cannot bring us God's approval on the day of judgment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is no divine commendation for anyone who walks uprightly by the world's standards without placing faith in Jesus Christ. Second, with faith, it is impossible to be condemned. This, of course, is the glory of the gospel. The righteousness of Christ is credited to us such that even our worst sins and most atrocious deeds cannot separate us from the love of God. By faith in Christ's substitutionary sacrifice and resurrection, we can have confidence that we cannot be condemned. By faith. So this walk begins with God's acceptance of us, and it continues as we follow God. As we follow him, God is the leader of the walk, not us. Uh, He's going in one direction. If you're not going in that direction, you're not walking with him. Does that make sense? Okay. God allows U-turns, though. (laughs) Repentance is turning around so that you can walk with God. So are you walking with God or are you walking away from him? John 10, 27 is an incredible verse, incredible promise. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now that's a walk worth walking. Hearing his voice knowing him and being known by him and following him. Nine years ago, we came to Minnesota because God started to put Minnesota on my wife's heart. Now that was a miracle. (laughs) She's from Florida, okay? (laughs) But he started putting Minnesota on her heart. And, uh, and it shows that my wife listens to God. She has a personal relationship with God where he talks to her and she walks with him. And so can you. This is normal Christianity. He wants all of us to have that kind of relationship with him. He longs for us. He, he's seeking us. He wants us to experience this normal Christianity. And this walk includes the special blessing of his presence. I think when it says that Enoch walked with God, it is referring not just to an ethical lifestyle but an experiential relationship with him where he talks to us, we talk to him, we have this incredible closeness. And so this walk includes the special blessing of his presence. 
I was thinking of the song, Just Give Me Jesus. And I love that song. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And as I was writing that phrase when I was preparing my message, I just started crying. I had to take my glasses off and just enjoy the presence of God. And then I looked back down and I couldn't even see the phrase because I didn't have my glasses on. (laughs) And I began to reflect and I remembered. I remembered when I used to have really good eyesight, okay? I used to have like really good eyesight. You remember that, those days? Okay, okay, okay. Well, at any rate, but then as I'm thinking about this, I started thinking about it, you know? I have been walking with God for 36 years. When I was 21, I surrendered to Jesus as Lord. And I haven't looked back since. And that walk has included so many blessings. That's normal Christianity. I want that for everyone here. Where you begin, maybe you're just beginning that walk or you've started it for a while, that you would continue it the rest of your days and experience the presence of God in different ways over and over throughout your life. Where you don't make excuses. You know, I can't get together with God's people, you know, life group or on Sunday morning or this or that because I've always got this or that or whatever. Listen, sometimes we compartmentalize our Christianity where this, this is, you know, this is a part of my life, but God wants you to make him your whole life. Nothing else is as important. Just give me Jesus. And, and you experience him and, and, and practice his presence, okay? Um, Brother Lawrence was a 17th century monk uh, that, uh, that wrote a little book called Practicing the Presence of God, okay? Still in print. You can get it. It's a marvelous book. And he describes how, you know... Th- you know, he, he did his monkery stuff, whatever that was, you know. But, but, but his, throughout his days, no matter what, he practiced the presence of God. And he says how he felt the closest to the Lord when he was washing pots and pans. He says, no matter where you're at, because see, God is everywhere, right? He's everywhere. And so if we walk right on past and don't recognize it, we miss out. But he's everywhere. So practicing his presence, recognizing he is here right now in this place among us, isn't he? And so we're, we're called like this. I remember one time when we lived in New Orleans, Elizabeth worked at Hibernia Bank. It's a big, one of those big old buildings downtown New Orleans. And she, I forget what floor she was on, but one of the top floors, it was one of those old buildings where they had the ledges outside so you know where you could actually crawl out and step on the ledges that's where you know in the movies they, they always say i'm gonna jump you know those kinds of things you know well well 
I told her, I said, Elizabeth, today on your lunch break, open the window and look around to the right corner, right on the ledge, and God will be there. And so she did, and he was. <laughs> because he's everywhere. And we're, if we just practice his presence, we will experience more and more his presence. Psalm 139 says he is omnipresent everywhere, all at once and beyond. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times, even when we're seeking God, where it seems like he's far away. And there are those times. And it's those times where we trust God in the dark, where we recognize what some call the dark night of the soul. It might be because you're not seeking him, but it could be simply even though you're seeking the Lord, even though you're living for him, that there's these times where it seems like he's a million miles away and you wonder, where are you, oh God? Okay, I believe that sometimes those are there by God's design. And we see them. We see this in Psalm 42. Turn to Psalm 42. The psalmist was experiencing one of these dark nights of the soul when he wrote this psalm. Psalm 42, verse 1. I'm in Isaiah. I'm thinking, that's not right. It's a good chapter, though, but the wrong one. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. And so you notice he's longing for God, and people are calling out to him, where is your God? And it's as if God is away and he's not experiencing his presence and then he remembers the times when he did experience God's presence and from there from those memories he was able to say that statement of faith in verse 5 why are you my uh, I'm, I have NIV memorized in my head uh, why my soul are you so dejected why are you in such turmoil put your hope in God for I will yet still praise him it's going to happen. I know he's going to come through. It's just this portion of time in my life. And you might ask, well, why would God do that? And I believe it's because he wants us to long for his return. If he gave us everything now, we wouldn't long for his return. That's when everything is going to be awesome, okay? When Jesus comes back, Wow. Okay, but we're supposed to long for that, but he does give us these glimpses of his glory and these tastes of his goodness, and we experience his presence, and that's what keeps us going, okay? So trust in God in the dark. And this is the first blessing we see in verses five and six. Faith brings the blessing of walking with God. And then we see in verse six, faith brings the blessing of God's rewards, Look at verse 6. 
Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. With faith, it's impossible to please him, but God does reward his people. Now, the inaugurated kingdom view uh, where rewards are both temporal and eschatological, meaning they were received in part now, but fully when Christ returns. That idea of the now and not yet, we can experience in part those blessings, those rewards, but the full reward comes when Christ returns. That's to be understood here. But faith brings the blessings of God's reward. Um, now, he begins and he describes his faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him, notice that's the recognizing or practicing his presence, must believe that he exists. Agnosticism is sin. To say God doesn't exist or I don't think he exists is sin that we will be held accountable to. Uh, Charles Spurgeon comments on this passage. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, we are without God, for God is only apprehended by faith. Without faith, we are without hope, for a true hope can only spring out of a true faith. Without faith, we are without Christ, and consequently, without a Savior. It would be infinitely better to be without eyes, without hearing, without wealth, without bread, without garments, without a home, rather than to be without the faith that brings everything the soul requires. Without faith, we are spiritually naked, poor, miserable, lost, condemned, and without a hope of escape. So we see here that we must believe that he exists. This is agnosticism, but I think he's also speaking of practical atheism. Practical atheism is also sin. You say, well, what is that? Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So notice he's saying there, that's a foolish person who says in his heart, there is no God. Now we know this is probably written around 1,000 B.C., and at that time, there were no atheists. Everybody believed in a god or gods or whatever. But he says, the fool says in his heart. He might say with his lips, there is a god, but in his heart, in his practical daily living, he lives as if there is no god. And there are many people like that. Their whole lives are lived as if he doesn't exist, though they might say, I believe he exists. That's the practical atheist, and that is also sin. Because Romans 1, 18 through 20 makes it very clear that God has revealed himself to every single person. Look at Romans chapter 1, the beginning of this great book. He makes this statement For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. He goes on to describe how people who reject God, they suppress the truth that he has revealed, they end up making up their own gods. And so all the other religions and all the other gods came from people suppressing the truth and making up their own religions. But God says they're without excuse because he has clearly revealed himself. You say, well, how has he done that? Let me give you a few examples of this, okay? One fairly sophisticated example uh, that, that might uh, be a little difficult to grasp. If I can find the book, there it is. Created, this is called the creation hypothesis. He says this, all the evidence against an infinitely old universe has become somewhat academic. In 1968 and 1970, three British astrophysicists Stephen Hawking, George Ellis, and Roger Penrose extended the solution of the equations of general relativity to include space and time. The theory of special relativity was derived by Albert Einstein from the combined observations that, number one, there is no observable absolute motion in the universe, only relative motion, and number two, the velocity of light is constant and independent of the motion of the source. General relativity extends special relativity to include the effects of gravity on matter, energy, space, and time. What Hawking, Ellis, and Penrose demonstrated was that if the equations of general relativity are valid for the universe, then under reasonable general conditions, space and time also must have an origin concurrent with that for matter and energy. In other words, time itself is finite. Now, if that went over your head, because it went over mine too, okay, he's saying that these atheist scientists discovered from Einstein's thoughts and theories that both matter and time had a beginning. There was a time when there was no time. I know that's kind of confusing. Everything had a beginning, but if everything had a beginning, then something outside of time and space must have begun it. Does that make sense? And so we look at the world and we say, this was created. There is a creator. Another one that's a little easier to grasp, okay? Consider the human brain, for example. It consists of about three pounds of gray matter, and yet no man-made computer of any size can duplicate the myriad of operations it routinely performs for us every day. Composed of 30 billion nerve cells, the brain is a vast, largely unexplored continent, one of the wonders of the universe. How can a person be expected to believe that an organ of such incredible complexity and versatility come, came to exist by accident as the result of an unintelligent and purely material process? 
It's absurd. You look at the brain. Uh, you look at the way God made living organisms, and it shouts, there is a God. Okay? What we've seen here is that the universe and living things reveal an intelligent designer. And so, this is faith, but it's faith founded on facts, believes that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Those who seek him, in the Greek, there's the little word epi on the beginning of this word, which uh, normally magnifies it. And so I think the NIV is more accurate. Who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so temporal blessing is a part of this reward. As I said, there is this eschatological sense too that someday when Jesus comes back, wow, okay. But there's also this idea where God blesses us even in the here and now. And miracles and financial blessings, I believe, can be a part of that. Now, we don't want to blow that out of proportion. We do need to be aware that there are hucksters out there who lie and try to get us to give them money in light of all this. In fact, look at Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 3. It's just, just to the right of Hebrews here. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3, we see a warning that he gives us. This is true, especially in the last days. Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, speaking of these bad people, he says, they will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Made-up stories. Plastois lagois. You hear the word plastic in plastois? Okay. Made-up words, fabricated stories. We're told and warned ahead of time that people are going to make up stuff in order to get us to give them money, okay? So don't be gullible, all right? Fair? (laughs) But God does bless us at times. When we seek him, sometimes he does heal, and other times he helps us through the difficulty we have to face. Sometimes he extraordinarily provides for our needs. I remember one time, Elizabeth and I, uh, back in New Orleans again, we had just uh, moved, and, uh, and Elizabeth had the job at Hibernia Bank, but no check yet. It was coming, and our rent was due on Monday. So we go to church on Sunday, and our pastor actually had a word that morning that he felt like there was somebody in the congregation who was struggling financially and that they should come up after church and receive prayer and that God, you know, wanted to bless them in that way. And so, you know, it was kind of interesting. And so we're driving home and, and Elizabeth says, don't you think that word was for us? I said, yeah. She says, then why didn't we go up and get prayer? I said, because of my pride. And I said, okay, we'll go back. Uh, that eve- they have a, we had an evening service as well. So I said, we'll go back early, and I'll tell the pastor, and we'll get prayer. Okay, so, so we went back early, and I told the pastor. And so he says, well, how much do you need? And I said, we need $200 by tomorrow for our rent. 
He says, well, let's pray. So he prayed, real simple prayer, nothing extravagant or anything. Then he says, now let me know when God provides, when he answers his prayer. I said, okay. Within five seconds of finishing the prayer, a lady in our church, she comes up to us. She says, Larry, I meant to come talk to you this morning, but I got sidetracked. And, uh, but God put it on my heart to give you this. And she gave me this envelope, okay? And it had $100 in it. I thought, sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> my pride. <laughs> sidetracked that blessing for a little while, okay? So, well, then I went and told the pastor. I said, we, got it. we already got $100. And he says, well, that's great, okay? So then the next morning, uh, a fellow student at the seminary, had mailed us, obviously, two, three days earlier. And there it was in the morning. Our mail came in the morning. There was a, a letter from one of my fellow students who didn't know my financial need and certainly was poor himself, <laughs> said, God put it on my heart that you needed this, and it was $100. And that, that was God. You cannot convince me that was by accident. Okay, I'm sorry, (laughs) but God does that kind of stuff for his people. Um, Now, the greatest blessing by far, though, we dare not miss this, is God himself. Psalm 43, verse 4 says that God is our greatest joy and blessing. And that's what Enoch discovered in his walking with God. I want to read and. Uh, the story of Rich Mullins. Uh, he was a musician, but listen to his story. It says, Rich was born in 1955 in Richmond, Indiana, the third of six children. He began to study music at a young age and wrote his first song on the piano when he was just four years old. Rich attended a Quaker church growing up, which later influenced his songwriting. He got his start writing songs for big-name recording artists, but in 1985, he recorded his debut album. For the next 12 years, he made music, toured, and ministered to thousands of people through his simple yet weighty lyrics. His two most well-known songs are Awesome God, Our God is an Awesome God, and Step by Step. We might have to sing that one. His songs have been covered by artists and bands like John Tesh, Rebecca St. James, Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, Third Day, Cademan's Call, and Jars of Clay. Despite his success in the music industry, Rich often ruffled the feathers of Christian music culture. He didn't consider music to be his primary purpose in life. To him, it simply enabled him to pursue the higher calling of loving people children, his neighbors, enemies, and non-Christians. Sometimes he showed up to his concerts unshaven and barefoot. I thought about trying that sometime. (laughs) I'm just kidding. To keep others from putting him on a pedestal, he often confessed his sins and failures in public. In 1995, Rich moved to a Navajo reservation in Arizona to teach music to the children who lived there. Rich never knew how successful, successfully his albums sold because the profits from his concerts and albums went directly to his church. They paid him a small salary and gave the rest of the money away. 
In September of 1997, Rich and a friend were driving to a benefit concert in Wichita, Kansas, when their Jeep flipped. Both men were thrown from the car. Rich was killed when a passing semi swerved to miss the Jeep and accidentally hit him. He was 41 years old. The Lord took him. People wonder, well, why? What happened there? You know, why would God take him at such an early age when he seemed to be doing such great things? Listen, we all have a beginning and an expiration date, every one of us. And we don't know when that is, but God knows. And he's calling us to live our whole lives for him. And that's what Rich did. You don't need to feel sorry for Rich. That guy is having a kick right now, okay? (laughs) He is enjoying the presence of God. And we get that as well. But are we going to live our lives out like that? We don't live for the temporal. We live for the eternal blessing of seeing Jesus face to face, the temporal, okay? Uh, I, I, I didn't read this, so I got to read this. I forgot to read this earlier. Because some of you go into this mode of poor pitiful me, it's winter. Okay? If your local Dairy Queen is closed from September through May, you may live in Minnesota. If someone in a Home Depot store offers you assistance and they don't even work there, you may live in Minnesota. (laughs) Or Menards. I've had that happen to me at Menards, okay? (laughs) Serious. (laughs) More than once. (laughs) If, If you've worn shorts and a jacket at the same time, you may live in Minnesota. If you've had a lengthy telephone conversation with someone who dialed a wrong number, you may live in Minnesota, okay? If you know several people who have hit a deer more than once, you may live in Minnesota. Uh, If you've switched from heat to AC in the same day and back again, (laughs) you may live in Minnesota, If you can drive 75 miles per hour through two feet of snow during a raging blizzard without flinching, you may live in Minnesota. This one, I love this one. If you install security lights on your house and garage but leave both doors unlocked, you may live in Minnesota. (laughs) If you carry jumpers in your car and your wife knows how to use them, (laughs) you may live in Minnesota. If you, design, a good one. if you design your kid's Halloween costume to fit over a snowsuit, you may live in Minnesota, okay? If driving is better in the winter because the potholes are filled with snow, you may live in Minnesota. If you know all four seasons, almost winter, winter, still winter, and road construction, you may live in Minnesota, uh, if you have more miles on your snowblower than your car, you may live in Minnesota. And if you find 10 degrees a little chilly, you may live in Minnesota. So don't sweat it while well, you're thinking, how can I sweat it? God has blessed us. It's a wonderful place, isn't it? You just look around you. You guys are what make it wonderful. This is our family. 
And we get to live here together for a while. We don't know how long. And then we get the ultimate blessing. Now, before the ultimate blessing, we do get to walk with God, to have those incredible glimpses of his glory. Just the the presence of God sometimes, it just makes you have to stop for a bit. We get fellowship with each other. We get to see from time to time even miracles. And then Jesus comes back. Faith brings God's blessing. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, Daddy,